You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Hey there, listeners. Today, I'm super excited to have Megan Kitt with me. Megan, before we jump into our conversation, will you take a couple minutes and share with our listeners a little about who you are and what makes you tick? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Um, And I am the founder of a company called Thule that works out of East Africa to fight poverty in a sustainable way. Um, So what we do, we're a fashion brand and um, we sell jewelry that's handmade out of recycled materials and create fair wage jobs for our team of artisans there, um, which has been a really rewarding part of my career and a little bit of a circuitous path took me to be here. I actually got my start as a journalist and traveled all around the world um, to different stories and um, ended up in East Africa on a writing assignment and started the company there. Um, And I also, before becoming a journalist, was a fashion model. And so that's kind of how the fashion came full circle um, into my career and made it so that I was able to start a fashion brand with no real business experience. Um, So that was about five years ago. And I have been working on growing the company since then and um, traveling, moving all around the world in the meantime. Um, So I could go on and on, but I'll just stop right there before I take up all our time talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And I love how, because yeah, you said, I mean, it totally was like a roundabout way that you came into the business because you were a journalist. So I love that, you know, you mentioned that and it's so cool that, you know, we can live our lives doing one thing and then all of a sudden literally take a 360 degree turn to do something else. It's so true. And I mean, you never know where things are going to take you. So you kind of just have to follow the experiences. Um, Personally, I mean, working as a model was something that, um, was really necessary for me to be able to pay for college and I'm glad I did it because of that um, but it was something I always felt a little bit conflicted about just because it doesn't put out the best message to young women um, or just women in general and you know it's just not it, it's feel, it felt kind of like a superficial way to make money sometimes and so it wasn't something that for a long time I wasn't very proud of the fact that I did that but now I look back and in hindsight, I mean, Tuli would not exist if I didn't have that background in fashion and didn't know um, what, what I needed to do to navigate beginning a brand or to look like a real brand, you know, because at first it was just me working out of my apartment trying to look legit. And um, it's just funny because I've always been so interested in global development and global poverty um, from a very young age. It's been something I've been very interested in and um, kind of did some work in nonprofits and then decided I wanted to be a journalist to tell stories to promote change. Um, But then following my life where it took me, I ended up in fashion, but still with this core value of trying to fight poverty. And it's just so interesting how saying yes to opportunities that you maybe didn't plan for or expect can get you somewhere you never would have imagined. Right. And um, one of the things that we're going to talk about is like the body image issues that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the fashion industry and, you know, you um, personally going through like modeling and stuff, you can totally relate to like the message, the detrimental message is what I think that a lot of the fashion industry like puts out there to young women about their bodies and stuff. Um, But really quick, 
Oh, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Really quick before we get into talking about all the body image issue stuff, how did you decide? So I know, you know, you've touched on, you've been really interested in poverty and things like that from a young age. So is that how you came about starting um, Thule and working, you know, with the artisans in the other country? Is that, is it because of your interest in poverty or was there something that happened while you were over there that made you just like want to work with them? Like what's the story behind how it came about and you working with, you know, the artisans from another country? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had had the idea for something like a social business, um, and a fair trade business that produced fashion in a responsible way, kind of, kind of since college. Um, so it was something that I played around with and I'd seen it done, um, by some of the nonprofits that I volunteered with or did some, um, contractor work with, but it wasn't done very well. Um, you know, the products that were being sold were either not very high quality or not very fashionable or both. Um, so that was something that was always in the back of my mind. Um, and then when I was in Uganda for the first time, it was just meeting all of these people who really just wanted to work. And, um, there's a very high unemployment rate in Uganda and there's just not jobs. And I met firsthand these people, um, mostly women in Uganda who were taking recycled paper and cutting it into these strips, rolling them up and making beads and going to the market, trying to sell them every single day, even though most days they didn't, they didn't sell anything. You know, I would ask them, how much money are you making doing this? And basically what would happen is sometimes, you know, like a, a tourist would go through and see it and buy it. And sometimes they buy a lot to take home and um, use for fundraisers or whatever. But um, it really wasn't a way to earn a living, but it was their only option. And I was just so inspired by how hardworking they were and, you know, how willing they were to do whatever they could to make any money. And I was just so floored by the fact that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have been born American where I have access to these markets that, you know, if you're Ugandan and of a certain socioeconomic status, you just don't. And so, um, that I think was like the main inspiration for me. I mean, I, it was an idea that I already had, but just meeting these people and seeing firsthand how badly they wanted to work and, um, you know, seeing how, how much the small amount of work I was giving them at first, even when it was just a little bit, like was making such a huge impact in their lives. And um, it just went from there, you know, I never thought that I would do it full time, even when I was first coming up with the idea, but it started growing so much. And I started seeing this intense impact happening um, in our artisans' lives that I just you know, couldn't walk away from that. I am sitting here and I have like goosebumps listening to you talk about this because I mean, I often, I have never traveled to, you know, like a third world country or something. So I haven't seen firsthand, um, you know, like the poverty that people deal with on a daily basis and that's just their norm. So I I just love that you know you saw that need and you wanted to be able to do something that could help them. So I just love that. Oh, thank you. you. Know, it gives it you just know, gives me really, goosebumps. Yeah, thank you. It's so interesting because um like I, I don't know where this idea or the seed about being so interested in global poverty came from. Um, because I started doing my first real social business when I was 
you know, a young teenager and I was growing up in the Pacific Northwest. So I was working with a friend and we were having these benefit concerts with local bands and like selling tickets and donating it to organizations that work to, you know, fight global poverty. And so it's something I've been interested for so, in for so long, as I already said, but Uganda was the first developing country I've ever visited and I'd read about it and I, you know, watched documentaries and films and thought I, you know, knew a lot about it for someone who had never seen it. But then I just remember the first time I landed in Uganda and um, I was going from the airport to the place where I was staying and I just like sat in the backseat of this car, like seeing firsthand what it was like. And I just cried the whole way there. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes have to make sure that I don't get desensitized to it now because I have spent a lot of time in those kinds of countries and you get used to seeing it, but at the same time, like it still breaks your heart every single time. Well, I like that you mentioned, you know, not getting desensitized to it because like I said, I've never seen it firsthand. So I already feel like I'm desensitized to it because I don't, and it's kind of sad to say, but I often don't think of, you know, like the other countries and what they deal with. Yeah. Um, like for you know, example. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, go, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. I, I will go ahead. Um, I was going to say it's still hard for me, you know, all of these years later. And um, I was living in Tokyo when I started to leave. So I've traveled through Southeast Asia quite a bit too. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've seen, I've been in a lot of developing countries, but it's still, it's just such, it's such a different world and um, it's so hard to conceptualize if you've never seen it. It's like someone could say like, oh, a billion dollars. And I can think, okay, yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I've never had that kind of money. I've never seen that kind of money. I can't really conceptualize of it. And it's the same sort of thing. You talk about poverty and it's, so hard to wrap your mind around if you haven't seen it and I mean I've never lived in it so I don't fully understand either and I'll just be sitting sometimes in my house talking to my team and it's still just it's so hard for me to realize that I live my life and they have their lives and they're like it's so hard to reconcile the fact that it's the same world you know because it's so different so right. I totally understand that it's actually something that we struggle a lot with in marketing for Thule because obviously um, our products have this really special story to them and that's a big part of why people love our stuff. But um, you don't want to fetishize poverty and, you know, show them I mean, because these are still people. They have dignity. You don't want to be like, you know, here's a kid on a pile of garbage. You know, you've seen that kind of marketing, I'm sure. Yeah. I really don't want to do that um, to my team because they're my business partners. You know, that's not a good way to go about doing it. But at the same time, like I also want people to understand the magnitude of the problem. And I've gotten feedback from people about our website saying that our artisans didn't look very poor. And I was so surprised wow. to hear that. I'm like, well, do you want me to put them in some tattered clothing or something? You know, and of course I'm not going to do that because they we take pictures for the website and they get all dressed up and they're working for me. They have money now, you know? Right. Um, I'm not going to go take pictures of starving children and throw them on my website just to make money, you know? So anyway, it's this very fine line between wanting to illustrate the problem and let people know that there is an intense need 
all around the world. I mean, global, global poverty is a huge issue, but I also want to maintain the dignity of the people who are living in it. They're not zoo animals, you know? Exactly. Um, this is a little kind of off track, but kind of on the same track. I was, oh gosh, probably like a year ago. It was not long after I moved out here to the Pacific Northwest. I went to, um, it was a resale shop, but she had like um, a couple of vendors in there who were selling some items. And I don't remember what the company was, because like I said, it's been a little while now, but she was selling these handmade journals and they had like recycled pages in them. And I want to say that it was, they were made by women in New Zealand, but don't quote me on that because I'm not a hundred percent sure. And it was beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, I have not been able to bring myself to use this journal because <laughs> it's so pretty. But um, I paid... $35 for this journal. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm paying $35 for this journal when, you know, I can go to Walmart or something and buy one for $8. But the point that I'm trying to say is the reason I bought that journal was because when I heard her share with me the story of the women in this other country that are sitting there hand making these journals, that is what that's what touched me. That's what made me hand her, you know, my card and say, please, I want this yeah, because it is helping women in another country better their lives. Exactly. And there's meaning to it and a story behind it. And, um, I move around quite a bit. My husband's in the military, so um, we are getting ready to move overseas again. In a wow. Of um, so I just try so hard to have like as few things as possible because, um, and part of it is because of my, you know, ethical thoughts on how to live a life without overconsumption. Um, part of it is just to be a good steward of money. And part of it is because my stuff is always getting lost anyway, and I hate moving it. Um, and I found that now I only want to buy something that I have this connection to. And, um, I think a lot of people feel that way. And I, Tilly does a lot of wholesale with different stores in the U S and I always tell my buyers, you know, cause we, we have a lot of, um, you know, materials that go with the products to explain where they came from and, and the impact they're having. And I think it just means so much more. I mean, I could walk into any mall and buy something that looks really similar to a Tuli piece. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> I know I don't have like some groundbreaking style or anything, but the fact that everything was made by hand and is creating change, not for the, only for the person who made the product, but for their entire family. I mean, in East Africa, you can't go to school unless you can pay for it. And so their kids are going to school, their kids are fed their kids can, you know, go to the hospital and then they can go to university and get a job and they don't need me anymore, you know, so it breaks the cycle of poverty and that's why we talk about sustainable change a lot because, um, you know, the children of our artisans are never going to need something like Thule. They're, they're going to go get an education and get a job and, and I think economic development is the key here. I, you are like making me so emotional talking about this. Like, it's just, I mean, it's so phenomenal. Like you're one person, but look at all the change that you're making and the impact that you're having on all these women and their families. Like, well, now you're making me emotional. <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh. It's seriously, it's so amazing. Like, Oh my gosh. Thank you for being you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for saying that. And I have to say, I'm very appreciative of all of the people 
who have supported Tuli um, through buying or, I mean, you having me on your show because now there's all these people who have a small little scrappy business. I try to send as much of our, our money back to East Africa as possible. Um, so we have a low marketing budget, I mean, honestly. <laughs> so like just getting the word out about this is so helpful for us. And I know we, I, I mean, I've put a lot of hours into this, of course, and so has my team in East Africa, but we'd be nowhere if it weren't for the people supporting us and the people connecting with the story and, and, you know, buying our stuff. Yeah. Well, I will definitely be checking out the stuff. Um, as oh, soon as we you. are done talking today, <laughs> actually, so let's switch gears now and let's start chatting about body image because this is near and dear to my heart. Anybody that has followed me for a while, um, you know, knows my personal journey and I spent my entire life up until a little over a year ago, interestingly enough, when I moved out here to the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> I, um, I hated my body. There was a point in time I could not even look in a full-length mirror because I hated everything. And it stemmed from society and people around me, whether that be family and friends. And I know, you know, family would say things in a loving sort of way about my weight, <laughs> which had negative impact, um, you know, through my whole life, but like, oh my gosh, just the body image issues and the way that the fashion industry and like magazines and stuff, I just like the message that they send. I mean, I remember looking at magazines when I was younger and I was way thinner back then. <laughs> so, you know, I just, even back then at my thinnest, I still was bigger than like the women around the girls around me, or, you know, I would look at those magazines or a fashion show or something. And I would be like, my body is so wrong. Like, it's oh. just, you know, I don't measure up to what all the other women on the magazine covers look like and things like that. And so when I heard, you know, that you have done modeling yourself, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk to her because she's been in the industry. So yeah, like, how do you, how did you maneuver your way through that? I mean, I can only imagine. Um, it was rough, honestly. Um, and I really attribute a lot of my, I, the fact that I came out like still a moderately okay person as far as like, my body image goes is my my mom didn't let me do it very young because I started getting scouted when I was a kid to model and my mom was not into it <laughs> she she said you know I want you to know that you're worth more than what you look like and um you know but I'm you know I'm very tall and so of course they zeroed in on that and so I started pretty late. I was um, 18 when I started and that was when I was, you know, an adult and I was looking at college and I, at that point, like I felt the same way. Like I didn't want to be like a fashion model or anything. I wanted to pay my college tuition mm -hmm. and that was always first. And I think that helped too, that I had something else, another goal. I wanted to be a journalist and that was a means to an end um, because during my summer breaks when all I was doing was modeling, it would get really grating sometimes. Um, but I'm so appreciative that my mom didn't let me start doing it when I was like, you know, 13, 14, because it, it, you're just so young at that point. Um, and I learned how, you know, because there's a lot of different body types out there yes. and mine is almost six feet tall and I have a narrow frame, but like what happens in the modeling industry is you take tall, you know, naturally thin girls 
and tell them they need to be even thinner. <laughs> and so it's just so sad because there's already a very rare body type. And then mo a lot of these women are, or girls really is what they usually are, are, you know, not eating very much and working really hard to keep these measurements so small. And it's just so sad to me because there are very few people who look like that. And the message that's being put out is like, that is how you have to look to be a beautiful person. And that is not true at all. Um, and so to me, I just, I find it really sad. And um, it's just so pervasive too, because when I started Tuli, I, I really thought like, okay, I wanna make sure that we are using all sorts of kinds of women um, in our marketing and on our website, because I don't want people to, you know, look at my website and then feel like crap about themselves, honestly. You know, that's not the message I'm trying to put out. This is an empowerment company. And um, I found after we did a couple shoots with people who weren't professional models and nobody in the industry was taking me seriously because instead of it looking like a choice to not use professional models, it just looked like we couldn't afford them. <laughs> so it was really, really kind of devastating to me to realize just how entrenched this thinking is. Um, I do know from being a model kind of where it came from, which is they, the industry kind of needs people to be a uniform size because they don't make clothes for the shoot or for the model. The model has to fit the clothes and that's how it's exactly. all Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like from my business mind kind of does understand that, you know, like, okay, like you can't just be making tons of samples and all of these sizes, like that's going to cost a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, like these companies could afford to do that. So, but I do understand that's where it came from. Regardless, it's just so entrenched in the industry and it's so hard for me trying to um, exist in an industry that's very, very saturated with new brands and trying to already make our products in a different way, you know, treat our, treat our workers fairly because most fashion, most of the people who are making our clothes around the world are not treated well and are not paid well. And so I wanted to change that. I wanted to change, you know, the messaging around what is a beautiful woman or what is an acceptable woman really is the message that, that magazines are putting out. And taking on all of that at once is really hard. And I found that you kind of have to, unfortunately, skate in the lines a little bit and then deviate. And then people will take you seriously, but you also can nudge things in the right direction. And now that Tuli has been around for five years and has a little bit of brand credibility, like I can make these bolder decisions about what kind of women we're featuring in our um, images. And most of them aren't professional models. But at first, like, I couldn't get meetings with buyers because my imagery didn't meet what they were used to. And that was just so sad to me to realize how, how stuck on this one type of beauty the industry is. Yes. And oh my gosh, don't even get me started on all that. <laughs> but I have seen, you know, some changes in the fashion industry, and I'm so thankful that so when I moved over here, my whole life has literally changed since moving to the Pacific Northwest. Like the best oh, thing I have ever done. That makes for me myself. so happy as a Pacific Northwest native because I think it's an amazing place. <laughs> it is. It's so it's so freaking phenomenal out here. Oh my gosh. But um I 
I was here for probably like a month and I saw something pop up on Facebook. I don't even remember like why it popped up in my feed. Obviously I was looking at something that made that <laughs> ad cause you know how Facebook is. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was for a plus an open casting call for a plus size fashion show for modeling. And awesome. I, yeah, I had wanted to model when I was younger, but you know, I was always the chubby girl, the fat girl, fat girls can't do that. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm 44 right now. <laughs> I am old. But I was like, you know what? I'm just putting myself out there. I'm going to this casting call. No clue anything about modeling. You know, I'm not even like a girly girl half of the time. I'm usually in a ponytail, leggings, and like a t-shirt. That's exactly so, what I'm wearing right now. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so here I am. You know, I get like all dolled up and I'm so excited to go to this. And that open casting call has, I, oh my gosh, I could like talk forever about this, but I met the most amazing woman who is the founder of Curvy Chic Closet here in the North Pacific Northwest. And she actually puts on the largest fashion show, plus size fashion show on the, on the West coast. And wow. like just this, and it wasn't even just about the fact that I was chosen as a model. It was, it was so much more than that. Like her whole company is all about empowering um, teens and adults to, you know, accept themselves and be okay and love their bodies like the way they are. So just the fact that I get to like be a little part of like that community now is like just so amazing. That is amazing. I, I love hearing that. Um, and I just, it, it made me so sad to hear you talking about hating your body because I know, I know how common that is among women. And, um, I know what's perpetuating those thoughts, you know, it's all marketing, you know, and it's an industry that I'm a part of, you know, and I market a fashion product also, you know, and, um, it's really nice to see change and to see that people are, um, getting on board with, you know, celebrating the fact that there's all, I mean, it would be such a boring world if everybody looked exactly the same and right? that's what the fashion industry has been telling us we need for years. And it's just so inspiring to see things change and to, to hear that, you know, I just think of, I mean, I have a daughter now, she's going to be one tomorrow. And I just think about her growing up and all of these images that she's going to be facing and all the things that I felt as a teenager and knowing that she's going to go through the same thing. And it's really heartbreaking. And I just hope for a world where that messaging is, I mean, maybe it's a little bit naive to say it doesn't exist, but maybe it won't be so exclusive as it is now because it's just, it's not, it's hard enough growing up. It's hard enough being a woman or a person, but to be told that, I think you said, I think the way you put it was that your body size or that your body isn't valid or isn't right. And that is not okay. You know, it's really not. Yes. And oh my goodness. Well, first of all, happy first birthday to your daughter tomorrow. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, and I could not imagine, I have a son, he's 21, but I could not imagine like having to, especially because of how I was up until just recently, like with, you know, hating my own body and stuff, like the thought of raising a daughter in just, you know, 
with all the negative stuff that you see yeah. and hear and with social media, sometimes I think social media oh, I'm can. Terrified. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> and I'm sure by the time she's old enough to be using it, I won't even know what kids those days are using. So I'll be so out of touch. I won't right? talk to her about it. And it's just like, it's just so hard even realizing I mean, she's a baby still, but I just realized I need to change some of my own language. Um, because I really realized, of course, like I, I went through this industry that told me my worth was what I looked like, which was exactly what my mom didn't want me to go through, but mm -hmm. I did. <laughs> and um, as I got older, you know, I mean, as I turned into a woman, it became harder and harder for me to meet those straight size model measurements until eventually it just became something that I knew I wouldn't be able to do in a healthy way. And so I, you know, retired or you know, I, I quit before they made me quit basically when I was, I think I was 26. So I was pretty old to still be doing it, honestly, in fashion. And, um, and then I, you know, went on, I was still working as a journalist a little bit and then started doing Tuli full-time, um, thought I had healed at least mostly from, you know, my obsession with my weight, um, that I developed while I was modeling. I mean, I really never, never learned how to tear myself apart so well as I did when I started going to Cassians and hearing everything that was wrong with me and like being told that you need to be perfect even though like nobody is and um anyway then when I became pregnant and it was just so hard it was hard to talk about too because people <laughs> didn't don't like to hear this because it sounds horrible but like I started gaining weight and I've focused on being thin for so long like I felt horrible about the way that I looked even though rationally like I know that I need to be gaining weight to have a healthy baby and take care of her and she's the most important thing and like my body's going to change but it was really hard for me to deal with those changes and I mean now I've had a baby my body's different and I'm still learning how to accept it and I think that's an experience that's common among women um mm -hmm. you to see your body change as you get older and as you have children but I've just realized at having Corinne, my daughter, around how often I'll like make comments about, you know, what I eat or what size I am. And I'm, I'm realizing I'm going to teach her at such a young age to be worried about what size she is. And um, it's just so ingrained in our culture. I mean, I know I was very aware of my size from a young age, just from being around older women talking about it. Yep. And um so I've been really trying to police the way that I talk about myself, you know, for her sake, um, which is sad that I didn't do it for my own sake, but you know, <laughs> at least I'm doing it for her and we'll try to help her be, you know, more confident and know, like I said, like she's worth way more than what she looks like or what her body looks like. Yeah. And that, that's such an important message that not just, you know, we as women, but men out there too, because there are men that also have, you know, body image issues, but oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just such an important message. And um, like yeah. I said, I'm so thankful that, you know, some of the fashion industry is starting to change and you are starting to see, you know, more of like the plus size models and stuff, but yeah, just, yeah much it, more inclusive. Yeah, it still has such a long way to go. Yes. So Megan, this has been phenomenal. I have loved chatting with you so much. It's just been a true pleasure. I have too. Um, and before we go, can I just ask really quickly, because I've been wanting to, I'm just so curious what changed in your life that made it so that, I mean, I love that you, you know, love your body now. And I just want to know what that change was for you. 
Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> See, now you're putting your journalist hat on. <laughs> I know. I really miss it if I'm honest. <laughs> I don't blame you. I think it would be fun. But yeah, so thank you for asking that. So as I said, it happened when I moved out here to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I lived in a very small town back in Michigan. There was not any sort of like body positivity movement or, you know, fat acceptance, fat activists, things like that where I lived. And I came out here and I'd always wanted to try yoga. I started searching for um, like plus size yoga classes or something. And I found a class called Body Love Yoga. So I was like, okay, I am scared crapless to go step foot into this class by myself, not knowing anybody and not having any clue if my body's going to be able to do any type of yoga movement. And like, before we start the, the class, the yoga instructor, we're all laying on the floor. The lights are dim. There might've been candles lit. I don't remember for sure, but you know, she's just kind of feeling the energy and like chatting and all of a sudden she says, you have permission to take up space just as you are fat and all. And I just started bawling. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, finally. And not that I ever needed permission to be okay with my body, but for whatever reason, that moment, it just clicked. I am so okay the way I am. My body is okay the way that I am. And from literally like that night, like I left that class walking taller. Like I, oh my gosh, it's just been remarkable since that, that class. <laughs> I, I just, I think that's so important. You know, I mean, I really learned through modeling and then through pregnancy and just from living my life, you know, how much how much merit and how much value is assigned to the number of pounds on the scale, which is so silly because we are all as people we're like, we are so much more aggregately than that. That is like one facet of us that it doesn't, it doesn't hold the like morality or the value that we put on it. And um, it's just so heartbreaking to hear, you know, people so commonly being so, feeling so not okay with their bodies and feeling like they are not okay and they can't do anything. And that's just such a, such an amazing concept. I'm so glad that you went to have the courage to go to that class, you know? Yeah, it really, it feels like, you know, one of those, like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So had I not stepped foot through that yoga class, had I not went to that yoga class and heard that message, like I never would have I may have still seen that ad for the open casting call for the plus size models, but I can guarantee a hundred percent had I not been to that yoga class and heard that message where suddenly someone's giving me permission to be okay and take up space just the way I am. There is no way in heck that <laughs> I would have even thought about stepping th foot through the doors to that open casting call. I'm so glad you did though, because just think like people are going to see you looking fabulous and confident and beautiful. And they're going to know that, you know, they can, you know, no matter what the body type or what they look like, you know, because it's not, it's not all body type. It's also sometimes a very, you know, homogenous look that the industry is looking for too, which is just, again, not fair. You know, there's beauty in all kinds of shapes and sizes, which is kind of cliche and, 
cheesy sounding, but I really believe it. And I think you're going to be an inspiration to people who are grappling with those same problems that you were and that I still do, to be honest. Like this is a, an uphill battle for me. And I, I hope to one day, you know, let go of the baggage of feeling like I need to be a size zero. But for right now, it's just a work in progress. <laughs> and I think you know, it's a work in progress for all of us because even though I'm at the point now that, you know, I love my body and I wear sundresses and shorts and things that I wouldn't wear before because I was told, you know, your arms are too big, you can't wear a sundress, your thighs are too jiggly, you can't wear shorts. You know, I was always taught, cover your body, cover your body, cover your body. And then, you know, after that yoga instructor says that, I suddenly have this like aha moment. I mean, I literally felt like I could see the light bulb just go off. Hello, newsflash. I am the same stinking size if I cover my body in, you know, big baggy clothes or if I wear shorts or a sundress. So yeah, yeah exactly. But oh my gosh, I could, uh, we could talk forever. I know. We're, we're going to go on and on for hours if we let ourselves. Um, yes. But thank you for answering that question because it's really important to me. And I've been trying so hard to be cognizant, you know, as Tuli grows as a brand of the message that I'm putting out to people and I want, I want to be really aware. And I, I, like I said, I don't ever want to be perpetuating this idea that there's only one way to be a beautiful woman, you know? Well, again, you know, thank you for asking that. Like, I really appreciate that you asked that question because I do think that's important for some of the stuff that I was sharing. So thank you for bringing that out. <laughs> of course. And I will keep that in mind in all of our future campaigns and as the company hopefully continues to grow. All right, Megan. Well, before we stop the recording, can you tell our listeners how they can find you online? Yes. Um, so Tuli's website is um, Tuli.co. So just T-U-L-I.co. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Tuli Style. On Facebook, if you search Tuli, we'll come right up. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Megan Kitt. Thank you. And I'll be sure to include all those links and stuff in the show notes so that awesome. people can. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.